0: So, this is Aspen Waite Live, and this is uh, Paul Waite, as usual, and today we have a very special guest, uh, an extremely good friend of mine, one of the best human beings ever created, nearly better than the maker himself, or herself, depending on who you think the maker is. Uh, so this is the legend that is, shall I call you Mel or Jamila, what do, what do you prefer,
1: and Mel's fine. I, I respond to Mel.
0: You <laughs> respond. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. On, your, on your voice machine, you always say you're Jamila. I think. Is, uh, oh,
1: Amela, Oh, Amella. that's that's only because it's. Um, I was trying to keep it formal, but no, I respond to Mel more than anything else. So please call me Mel. So, call um, me what you
0: normally call me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that on, on on the air. That would be far too <laughs> embarrassing or something. Um, so this is Mel Curtis who is the chief executive and founder of a business called Winter in Venice, uh, which is a, um, I'd say, a high-class cosmetics uh, business, but with a twist, as we'll come on to later. So um, those of you that follow Aspen Waits and also um, our productions and uh, the GB Expo shows will know that for three or four weeks now, I've been doing a show on a Friday, which is called The Entrepreneurial Journey, and I was sitting there thinking and, and, and actually this is all, all those of you that listen to that show will know uh, the tremendous esteem I hold this lady in. And uh, I I know I'm just embarrassing, you now because I'm, I'm good like that. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I very much um, you are you are probably the single greatest success story of lockdown uh, and I'm inordinately proud of you. Uh, so I thought, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wonderful um, if, in my opinion, the two greatest entrepreneurs in my circle, and I'm going to be arrogant enough to include myself in that, um, did 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 the show together, and maybe who knows where this could go, and I know that you've got a great big heart like I have, and you care about other people, so uh, I'm rather hoping that we're going to inspire people today uh, to want to to go on the entrepreneurial journey uh, themselves and 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 see what they can do so i think um if you don't mind we can start at the very beginning which is a very good place to start as the song goes mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so of course um you're actually a sri lankan by birth um mm-hmm. so it's, i have to say you know other than um you know i know it's in the commonwealth and uh i know the names of sri lankan cricketers um, what would you say was sort of particularly distinct about Sri Lanka as opposed to living in England, for instance?
1: Um, okay, so I would say the hospitality aspect of it culturally—they're um, very Italianesque in their warmth. Um, you would go to someone's house; you'd never leave without uh, a meal and 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 a, a, a full belly. Um, <laughs> so
0: it's
1: very, Sounds very good. strange. When I when I came to live in England, and you know, you'd go, you'd travel up an hour to see somebody, and you'd be lucky if you'd be offered a cup of tea. So um, I noticed that oh. being quite quite interesting. Where in Sri Lanka, you're you're um, immersed in hospitality and love and warmth. When you just people are just generally very very loving and and warm. I find.
0: So, in, uh, you know, so obviously we don't intrude too much into your personal life, etc. But I think you had um, quite a good schooling, didn't you? Good education. Yes.
1: So yes. Well, I I was fortunate enough. I mean, when I lived in Sri Lanka, um, at the time there was uh, there was no. There was no middle class, if you like. There was, there was, there was quite a, a disparity between the upper classes and and the survivals. Um, and uh, of course, I was fortunate enough to be born to, to highly educated parents. My mother's a lawyer banker. My father was VP for Smithline Smith Beecham at the time. And um, I had a, a completely different exposure, privately schooled, uh, which is all great uh, until I sort of turned. 21 and uh became somewhat of the black sheep of the family and ousted out so sort of go i mean ousted out in the sense that i was asked to go and make my own own way um and not depend on mummy and daddy's support
0: i think to be fair without saying uh, you know this is not the the, the point of the show today is really i suppose to inspire people in terms of um you know uh people can come from from any situation even one of adversity and and make good so i think i think it's, it's, it's worth pointing out to the listeners that um you, you you were you were more the black sheep because um you you were the victim i would suggest rather than uh someone who deliberately became a black sheep uh, i
1: was so, yes i mean in my case i was a nonconformist from day one um often tagged the bossy little girl but what people didn't see were perhaps the leadership skills um, that I that I naturally um, bore. Um, so I think, because I didn't toe the line, my parents were very corporate, very much. They work for corporates. They've been corporate all their life. I was told to go, go and get a real job, um, you know, do the normal things, which I didn't do. Um, and I suppose my father said, you know, you're a bit of a dull boy, you know, diving into trading. <laughs> We've we've never done trading in our, our family. Um, they expected me to be a, a lawyer, a, a doctor, a accountant. Um, and, you know, take up a profession which required uh, me to to follow the, the line. You know, toe the line, be a conformist. And uh, I had other plans.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you did an incredibly brave thing. Um, you basically decided to come to Britain. Uh, and my little joke, because as you know. Um, you know, Aspen Wake does a huge amount of business in Wales, and I, I make the the, the, the little joke. Well, it's not really a joke because it's nearly true that I'm the king of Wales. So um, you you actually decided to catch a banana boat, I think it was. Uh, to is that? It's not. I thought it was a banana boat. Um,
1: I'm, i just joking. <laughs>
0: so it wasn't really a banana boat.
1: It was a fancy Airbus. <laughs>
0: How was it?
1: You know, I mean, I've been in and, in and out of Britain. Um, Quite a while of my teenage years and such, but never quite lived here until I was about 18. And then when I was sort of 21, it was most definite that I would be. Um, I would. I would sort of stay here um by way of you know doing the things i did so that was part of my education um, you know following uh, pursuits here which i had to do um but also uh, i sort, sort of started working here for an hr company and then progressed from there uh and and sort of decided i was going to go and set up my own company at the age of 26 when i set it up but 23 when i started um Diving into what I wanted to do and and finding what I wanted to do, so it took me three about three years to kind of decide um, on on well collecting enough money really to start with. It was impossible to start um, without uh, without creating an avenue to pay my way because I had to pay my bills. I had to have a roof over my head and and food in my belly, and it was very very difficult at the time
0: so how did you find adjusting to life in england was it very very different
1: yes it was hugely different i hadn't um i hadn't used public transport before so it was all very uh <laughs> very interesting but i quickly adapted um and uh, i i found the welsh people in particular to be extraordinary i mean i love hearing a welsh accent anytime i find them very warm and very similar to Sri Lankans in their yeah. warmth um and so i have i have such an affinity with wales
0: definitely so uh you set up your own business when you were 26 yes and what was and, yes. what, and what did you, and where was that and what did you do and what did you do
1: so i noticed this gap in the market where If you were to go and buy toiletry gift sets, you wouldn't quite find them in reusable packaging. You'd often find them in cardboard boxes. And I felt that if I could create two uses, one for the packaging and one for the actual product, that would then create a permanency in the gift so when someone finished using the shower gels and the bubble bath, the actual container would remind them of the person that gave them the, 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 the gift. So a sense of permanency in the exchange was sort of my idea behind it. And um, that was why I created um, fancy packaging and putting the toiletries within the packaging so the packaging had a secondary purpose. Um, you, th- you threw away very little, um, so it was it was obviously um, great for the um, for the environment, and uh, it was extraordinarily priced. It was much cheaper than two bottles in a box that you would find um, amongst the competitor. Uh, brands, so that was sort of my um, my start to it, and it just took off. And uh, I started the company with sixty pounds, and I remember, in my first year, mm. I did I did a million pounds, which really? was which was really something for uh, a little twenty six year old at the time.
0: And what's that business called, Winter in Venice?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So um, I suppose the obvious question is, how did you come up with the name, and what does it mean?
1: Um, ah. At the time, and I was thinking about names, I um, didn't, I noticed that everybody had a surname attached to the product. So you would have Moulton Brown, you would have Bayliss and Harding, you'd had Heathcote and Ivory. It was almost like people had their surnames tagged onto products. Yeah. And um, I thought, how about I encapsulate a moment in time of feeling. And I had this picture of this woman um, in an old hotel in Venice um, overlooking the pair, she was running a warm bath, it was cold and wintry outside, and I had this picture in my mind of what it felt to be in Venice, but it was cold outside, but warm indoors, and she was just running herself a bath, and this feeling just, just engulfed me, and I don't know what it was, I think it was very intuitive, uh, in, mm. in just capturing a feeling um, in in a name, and that was purely it, it was capturing a feeling in a in a name. As opposed to calling it a surname, you know, like um, all of the competitor brands always had a surname attached to it, and I didn't, um, and I just went with a feeling, and that's just bizarrely stark uh, and done really well for us.
0: No, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I as I say, you know, I, I I've, um, I guess, you, I think what you, you, the word you used just now, intuitive, is is the right word. Uh, I found it quite interesting on the Fridays, you know, having an audience of uh, 50 chief executives who who asked me things like, why, why do you do this? How do you think that? And of course, um, probably like yourself, most of the things I do are, are instinctively obvious to me. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud, for instance, of the Aspen Wake name, because 27 years ago, uh, you know, I sat down uh, as somebody who was starting up their own business and um, in many respects was very ill-suited for that journey uh, which which obviously leads on uh, to an obvious question to ask you but uh, one of the things that I'm I'm very proud of is I wanted to create a brand uh, that that sounded corporate and um, people would think that you know I was a serious player and you know I'm very proud of the fact that with Aspen Way people it's one of those names where I think people feel they they should know you, you know. It's like I should I I, I you know it, it's a company I should have heard of, and I think with Winter in Venice, um, you know, if I think about uh, all the companies I've been associated with over the years, it's um, it's quite a I don't know how to put it really. It's it's it's, it's quite refreshing. It's so out there. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. It's so sort of different and. Uh, very ind- individualistic. So I've never actually had a chance to ask you before uh, why you came out with that name. But again, I think it's just it's just such a such a wonderful name, isn't it? It's. Um, I hope you're proud of it. Anyway,
1: I've, I've I'm very much in love with it. Um, but it's become I've almost forgotten. I mean, for years. Um, I didn't go to Venice because I, I, I sent all my staff on trips to Venice. And for years, I, I didn't want to experience the name. I didn't. I was saving it for the moment. Um, and um, it took me 11 years, 12 years um, since founding the business then to actually go to Venice and experience that feeling. I kept that feeling for um, till I found my life partner. So I didn't want to experience it just with, with you know, with no. anybody. Um, but I remember thinking, gosh, you know, what an extraordinary name. I'm sorry about the dogs barking.
0: That <laughs> well, definitely shows it's live. They're
1: not my dogs. <laughs>
0: but,
1: um, yeah, sorry.
0: Shows shows it's live. So the obvious question to ask you is, um, as uh, I, I think when I started up my business, uh, I, I probably if I was describing myself at the time, uh i was someone who was put on this planet to be nice a nice guy uh that people liked and you know i, I was good at doing the sort of greeting and uh hello how are you uh, quite you know probably had even as a young man uh, a very good appreciation of business uh i was very good at what i did uh, but also incredibly naive so for instance i was i would say if you were to list all the qualities uh, of a successful business owner, I failed spectacularly in at least half of them. So I'm quite interested uh, in this young lady that's been incredibly brave and come to a, a, a new country from her homeland of Sri Lanka, set up this uh, this business with 60 pounds, managed to turn over a million pounds in your first year. Uh, surely you didn't have, you know, the sort of commercial and financial experience and expertise. And if that was so, did that cause you a problem in the early days?
1: Um, no, but I remember I remember my logic, and that was that one plus one equaled ten, and not <laughs> two. So my 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 thoughts were if my pound didn't generate ten pounds, uh-huh. I really didn't want to spend any time. So it was very, it was almost rootless in how I I managed my time, my processes, my thinking, um, how I priced my product, the type of product I chose to sell. I mean, people said, why why toiletries? And I said, well, margin. Think about the margins. It's one of uh, the fewest um, products in the world that have such good margin. Um, I would have sold rubber tires if it meant that uh, at the end of it, my efforts would yield a reasonable return, um, and something that um, meant that I would be making ten times my input, um, and that was sort of my genre in everything I did. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I remember doing my my business plan, um, taking it to HSBC. They actually used it for their training um, to train their, their managers in in how I actually rolled using um, factoring. I, I literally so I'd buy um, stock for say ten thousand. Um, I would sell it for twenty, and I'll roll the ten. So that's how I started to roll the money, and to this day I still do it. You know, I still roll the numbers in, um, and if I don't double, I don't touch.
0: Okay. No, I think I, you know, it's 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 really fascinating um, hearing you say that because you know at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, we'll discuss later what what what's the best way of. Describing you as a business person. I mean, I was supposed to be a chartered accountant. Um, I say supposed to be because I spent most of my life trying very hard not to be seen to be one. Um, and I'd, I'd have to say, um, I don't think I could repeat your story about myself. You know, I don't think when I started Aspen Wait, there was this ruthless, was the word you used. You know, there wasn't um, the, the concentration on profit. Um, I think it, it'd be true to say it was more like a, a battle for survival. And uh, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is the fear of failure. And is that something that you can identify with?
1: Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. Um, but I think if, in my case, I had no other option, I had no choice. I had to simply make a go at it, and if I didn't, I don't think I could have lived with myself. So I had no choice.
0: Okay, and I mean, obviously, to go from a startup to a million-pound turnover in one year is is um, a, a, well, so an unbelievable achievement, I've got to say. Um, so, who were your customers then? You know, and how did you go about getting them? You know, and, and if you were sorry uh, and if you were comparing yourself with your competition for instance what would you say that you did better or differently
1: so the most important thing here to answer your first question i templated my first week of trading so what wow. i did was i i looked at i looked at my time and i said right okay so in a week i was going to see i think it was something like in 4 days i would be seeing 10 customers and i would be generating nine orders and i physically did that i would take my box of samples take the phone book <laughs> call people up and back in the day um this is six, 16 years ago um we had lovely independent shops all over britain um mm. we weren't, we weren't shopping so heavily online back when i started we had proper independent shops that you would go to want to buy product. So I would take the phone uh, directory um, and on on a sort of radius of a 10-mile radius, pick shops, literally pick shops in a town, call the owners up and make an appointment. I remember saying, it's my first day on the job, uh, so please be gentle. And this is my sort of Mm. opening line. I never said I owned the company. I said I worked for the company. Oh, okay.
0: Um
1: and I used to go with my box of samples, present it, and um I would walk away. My average order was three hundred and fifty pounds. So what I did was I out of out of a ten um out of ten appointments I'd have nine confirmed orders so out of 10 bookings nine orders and so I then templated that um, for 52 weeks in the year and then I scaled it up by x number of sales agents so sales agents worked on at the time I think it was something like 10% commission so I worked that into my cost as well and I found a group of agents um, and I think within within the year we went, I think we had 1200 retail stores stocking our product and that was without any advertising without much of anything wow. it was purely picking the phone and bloody making that phone call <laughs> um, turning up Um, presenting the product and then answering your second question um, Mm -hmm. about how the product compared to the competition, I looked at what they were offering and their price point. So if they were offering two or three items in a box and the price was, say, £15, I made sure that I offered five or six items in the box and my price was £12.50. So I undercut on price and over-delivered on product offering, and that enabled me to creep under and find my place in in store. So uh, that's how I did it.
0: But, but how how were you able to do that? You know, was it because you were able to buy more more? Um, you know, you, you were able to buy cheaply or efficiently? Yes. Or?
1: it was two things it was managing my overheads um keeping my 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 i was never top heavy and this is something to this day i'm i'm a firm believer mm-hmm. i i was very careful not to have a huge overhead so i was able to pass those savings down to the clients whereas my competition to this day have enormous offices grand receptions and to keep all of that running was a lot of money, um, and somebody had to pay the bill. Um, in my case, I run a very slimline operation, and I'm able to retract my workforce and expand it as demand suits, and control my pricing very well. Um, and I'm—I I think you actually said this to me years ago, and you said, "Oh, you're a bit of a cost accountant, aren't you, Mel?" I didn't know—I didn't know I was, but I remember sort of baking a cake one day and working out (laughs) it was 12p an egg so I realized naturally I'm very much a I break everything down I I would to the decimal know what something costs me to make um what what it would cost me to sell it etc and what I would make at the end of it so I was very very precise in my cost accounting even though I'm I, I have no background in that at all it was just innate I suppose
0: yeah I think the word would be analytical I think you um you have an analytical brain, and um, I, I have to say, I, I'm not sure I've ever spoken to anyone who has such a uh, clear um, and simple approach to business in the way you have, in terms of how you see, you know, the the, the margin thing, which is quite inspiring in itself. So, when did you um, when did you set up the Sri Lankan and the Chinese uh, overseas operations? How how soon into the winter in Venice was that?
1: Ah, so, um, in 2014, I read a book by a man called Tim Ferriss, and the book was The 4-Hour Workweek. Oh, I've heard that of that, yeah. Point, yes, at that point, I had been working stupendous hours, um, exhausting myself. And I realized, really, um, take the ego out of the equation. What did, what did I really want? What did my soul want? And I just wanted my freedom back. I wanted my time back. And I wanted really to do the things I wanted to do without having to do the things I had to do. Um, And that was very clear at that moment when I had that eureka moment. And I thought, I can't be doing this. Um, And then I started to value my time. And I sort of said, well, if I did that task, that's actually going to cost me 5,000 pounds. But if I didn't do that task, it would cost me 200 pounds to get somebody else to do it. And I would then use my time wisely to make... Five thousand pounds elsewhere. So I started to to value my time differently, and because of that, then I I realised well why don't I work farm out into countries like in Sri Lanka um, and people do it all over the world. I mean you could do it in Indonesia, you could do it in India, you could do it in um, in, in Bangladesh. Um, but um, I started to set up um, units of you know two or three people that I would I would hire. Uh, mm-hmm. From these countries, I would train them up. They would shadow me. They would they would um, watch me and filter all my processes, and 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 I would map processes for them. Um, and then I would be training them over a certain period of time, and now they doing it themselves. So, for example, right now we've got four containers being manufactured for one of my clients. I've got two of my staff that are out in Charmin, um quality checking it as if though I were there. Um, So I literally process mapped what was required of each person to do and then managed the aspect of them doing that task and then managing the whole thing coming together. So a bit like an orchestrator um, rather than actually doing the job myself. So that's how I sort of set up teams around me. But they weren't on UK salaries, which was great.
0: Because you made more profits. Yeah. Yes. Mhm. So um, yeah, one of the things that um, it's quite interesting, actually. I, I said this for the first time. I can't remember. Uh, it was about five or six weeks ago. Um, and uh, Alec Jones Hall, who hosts the show that I do on a Friday. Um, he, he he basically sort of made the assertion that uh, or the implication that all business owners were entrepreneurs and I said that was wildly off the case um, so in my opinion I said I think uh, there's a massive difference between being a business owner and an entrepreneur and genuinely um, if, if, if I was you know I haven't sat down and, and, and given this a huge amount of thought I would say if you said to me in my current peer group uh, I would say that possibly I am the most natural entrepreneur uh, of all the people I know, with a possible exception being yourself. and then um, and then you've got uh, yourself who uh, like me, are unemployable, opinionated, um, these are good things. opinionated, confident, um, you see things very clearly. Um, you're prepared, you know, I think you're like me. I mean, I I often tell this, I think one of the things that I've tried to do, particularly over the last couple of years, is try to pass on what's in here to other people who are younger, you know, and you can can sit there and teach people about economics or how to account, but teaching people life skills, uh, and, you know, for instance, why do I think like I do? And trying to give people a flavour of that, I think, is is a gift. So you know, I've 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 become very dedicated. Uh, that includes, of course, telling the truth and being really honest, even if people think that it reflects badly of you. And one of the things I'll say is, I would walk into a room with a hundred people, uh, and if I thought that white was white and they all said it was black, I'm right. You know, uh, and I think you you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Of course. Yes. So I think, you know, uh, I I also, uh, sorry, I I went on to say that, um, you know, about the entrepreneur thing, you know, I think, I think I I probably would find it hard to think of 10 people that I know that you would say, you know, have that sort of true entrepreneurial nature, which I suppose, well, I suppose a couple of things coming out of that. One is, do you agree? And I, and and just the opening foray, uh, what does Mel Curtis think an entrepreneur is? <laughs>
1: um, I think an on- entrepreneur, well, it's, you get two types of entrepreneurs in, in, my, my, in my analysis of it, okay. anyway. Um, my opinion is that you get two types of entrepreneurs. You get people who, um, let's, let's start with the two types of people first. So you get the shepherds and the sheep. the sheep are very very important they are um they are uh, like my parents for example they they need to belong to a structure they need to belong to the security of working for somebody else um they are extremely um needed so that the entrepreneur can go and do the vision and, and 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 be creative um so you get two types of people you get the shepherd and the sheep now what usually happens is the there are some sheep that want to be shepherds, but they're so used to creating businesses that need them. They haven't worked out that what they really, what a real entrepreneur does is a real entrepreneur fights to own his time. Um, you get a worker bee, as I call it, a type of entrepreneur called the worker bee hmm. that is a slave to time. So despite breaking away from um, the corporate world and being employed, they are in so many ways still employed within the companies they run. Mm -hmm. They're trapped in them. So you'll find they overwork uh, really bad time management, very bad at delegating, um, exhausted at the end of it. Uh, They don't spend enough time on the detail, on the numbers, on the decimals. They don't really know what something makes. If you ask them, What's your what's your highest um, um, what's your highest margin on on the products or services yourself? They wouldn't be able to answer that question because they're so busy um, in 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 the fire pit. They're not outside of it, and so that worker bee mentality is is classic. You've just, you've just, um, you just you just you were very um, you were accurate when you described. It's very, very difficult to say someone's really a true entrepreneur, because a lot of entrepreneurs are trapped in worker bee mentality.
0: Yeah, that- yeah. In my see, I would say they weren't entrepreneurs in the first place if that was the case. But you know, it's it, it's it's interesting because it's only you know it's only in the last uh, week or so that I've actually started to do some reading about. You know what what convention uh, tells you an entrepreneur is. So uh, I sort of taking this entrepreneurial thing quite seriously. I mean, probably until fairly recently, um, you you probably would suspect this as my friend. Uh, I, I I sort of regard uh, words like entrepreneurial as a bit sort of full of bullshit sort of thing. You know, they're uh, they're unnecessary words to discuss. You know, I would I would I would hate to. To, to sit there and say to someone hey look at me I'm, I'm an entrepreneur but I think given I spend a lot of my time teaching now and uh, mentoring and trying to pass on knowledge to other people I think to some extent it's not very helpful for me to be in denial and, and say well actually I'm not going to talk about entrepreneurs because I don't like the word so I sort of I sort of sit there and say look you know I'm not I'm not a guy, as you know, for sort of giving labels to things, but the fact is you know if you take the essence of what people mean by an entrepreneur, it's it's very real. so um you know i think I think um I think there's a number of things that go with an entrepreneur um I suppose a, a question I'd like to ask you, what would you say was the most unconventional or entrepreneurial decision you've ever made? if that's not a really hard question to ask you something that a normal person should we say would go wow that's that was so out there mel you know why did you do that that's crazy you know
1: ah right why did i do um yes when i when i set up winter in venice i was asked um why do you think your ideas even even workable? Do you not think Boots and the likes of Superdrug and 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 Sanctuary Spa hadn't thought of your idea? <laughs> I was asked that. I was told I was committing um, financial suicide. That I should I should not uh, attempt what I was about to do. So starting Winter in Venice to 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 answer your question would be. <laughs> Um, you know, would describe an act of absolute faith and madness and sense of belief, I think. I knew what I was doing. I felt it.
0: Yeah, I've got two um, two things I could add to that from my point of view. Um, so in as a, a comparison, when I started Aspen Waits, I can remember several people said to me, uh, all you'll ever have clients as clients is painters and plumbers. You know, that's that's all you'll ever have because um well, I suppose people are very narrow-minded and they just thought, well, you know, this, guy, this guy's starting up uh, an accountancy business on his own. You know, how is he ever going to get any good clients? Uh, I can remember one particularly supportive uh, lady client who said, you know, Paul's too good to be on his own for very long, which fortunately turned out to be uh, true. And I think... Um, uh, something I'm very proud of, as you know, Aspenweight Radio was launched, um, uh, what, so, uh, 10 weeks ago. and went fully live last week. Uh, and I spoke to a multimillionaire in Ireland uh, very recently. And he said to me, he said, Paul, what sort of guy would set up a radio station? He said, it's oof- effin insane. And I said, oh, um, and he said, no, it's bloody brilliant. Uh, you know, so I feel I feel sort of quite proud. Um you know, I've, sure. probably, I've probably done quite a few things um, in terms of. You know, I remember when I I did my first podcast, uh, which was about two years ago now, and I can remember people, even my marketing director, saying, "What the hell are you doing, doing a podcast?" And of course, podcasts now are very much considered to be the norm. But I was a year ahead of yeah. of the norm, you know. And I think um, so. What do you think it is? What is it? What is it about people like you and me? that allow us to do that do you think you know if you if you could define that or pass that on to someone what do you think it is
1: i think it's a non-conformist streak you just don't want to follow the masses and that's where you'll find your success um you're not a follower you lead you create you invent you're always ahead of the game um and i i think this idea is is phenomenal because your clients listening I mean I tune into your radio station I listen to your interviews and I enjoy them and I think also um, you're creating a little network for um, that one percent I mean we are one percent of the world's population It, it is a very lonely place so you know, we you mean, are, you mean we,
0: being a business owner?
1: Do you? Yes, be, being an, being a true entrepreneur. It's it's one percent of the of the world's population. It's a slither, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it. It's a really small percentage of 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 people like you, me, and the people listening in. I suppose um, who are who are sort of driven by a completely different drumbeat. You know, um, motivations are very different. Um, I mean, for you, uh, I mean, you're very ambitious, and you're you always very forward-thinking. And I mean, you, you are quite ruthless. I think um, your your drive, your you wanting to get to the next level, uh, there is that energy of of ruthlessness in there. I mean, every every entrepreneur has that to a great degree. Um, you have to be. You have to be so disciplined, and you have to to almost you You can't tune in to how everybody else thinks this is the problem, so it's a very lonely place to start with because everybody around you will tell you you're mad yeah and, mm. and when you when you then when you then when you've achieved that success and you've proven then that it's it works and 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 what you've done has paid off, and then everybody else congratulates you. so I've learned never to ask permission. I just go and do it.
0: Yeah, I would say, if you said to me, um, I mean, I actually, as you know, I'm not afraid to be controversial and say things that um, are not politically correct. We have a a group intranet staff meeting every Monday, uh, and there can be more than 50 people on the call. Uh, And unusually, because usually our meetings are very uh, family-based, I would say, almost. It's like a family. Uh, There was a little bit of friction in the family this week uh and i i must admit to being rubbed up the wrong way a little bit um and, and one of the things that was being discussed was um the fact that we don't have sort of normal board meetings um uh you know which, which would be highly unusual for sort. if we got 75 probably got 75 staff 300 people in our network um fastest growing company in the uk for three years uh, and I, I turned around and I said, I refuse to go into a meeting uh, and discuss things with people who don't understand why they're there in the first place. Um, and, and and you know, I, I remember... So for me, I, I often call it... I say, um, I'm a bird and I need to be able to fly. I mustn't be put in a cage. You know, and I, I think, you know, your point about... Um, I think I that... Think the thought, the thought, for instance, if you said to me, right, you know, Aspen Wait's got to a size now where I have to sit in a room with other people, and if I wanted to do something, I'd have to say, oh, um, you know, just it's, it's rolling back a bit. Say we were talking about, um, say we were talking about setting up Aspen weight Radio, that you know, uh, that that I'd have to sit down with other people and say, hey guys. how do you feel about setting up Aspen Weight Radio? And then you'd get people going, well, no, that's really stupid or whatever. I just just can't be doing with that, you know? And um, I can remember probably as much, only probably four years ago, sitting in a room with three of my closest colleagues, uh, all of whom were friends as well, and each one of them told me that I was out of touch. I was out of touch, deluded, um, because they didn't understand... Uh, what it was I was trying to do. Whereas, of course, you're so right. Whereas now everyone says, good old Paul, you know, you're brilliant, whatever. And I sit there and I think, oh, you didn't say that in that meeting four years ago, did you? You know?
1: Ah, well, when people tell you you're deluded, that's when you know you're actually on the right track. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, one of the things, as I say, I haven't haven't really ever really thought about this too much. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think that there's no doubt, you know, that you and I, for instance, are entrepreneurs. And then what I try to do is sort of work backwards and sort of think about uh, what is it that we do um, which is different so that one can pass that on to other people, you know. But as I say... Um, started doing some some sort of external reading about you know how how people see this. Uh, and one of the things that I was reading about last week is that entrepreneurs um, are also supposed to be philanthrop- philanthropists, uh, which I, I would have said I, I would have said wasn't uh, something that was obvious to me. Do you think that's true?
1: I think it's the nature of the person. Um, I'd, I, I I have been. I have been one before I became a business person you know before I even knew I was an entrepreneur I remember I never had birthday parties and um, I still my parents that I'd want to give it to um, you know I would I would go looking for beggars on the, on the, on the, on the streets and I mean I still do that um, I have little emergency packs made out I keep in the back of my car for for the homeless um, I spend an awful amount of my money now helping people, but I've always been that. I, I don't, I don't quite, I don't think as an entrepreneur that you become one of that. You either have it or you don't. A lot of, um, a lot of people are still very much in, 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 in. A lot of entrepreneurs, when you see this, I mean, you just need to watch Dragon's Den to see this. Yeah. Um, still stuck in an ego, um, a state of ego worship. So you've got people who'd rather buy the red. Ferrari as opposed to feed Africa, you still have people who'd have, um, you know, um, the fancy million pound watch as opposed to creating, I don't know, 700 um, water pumps in in, in places people don't have fresh water. I mean, so I had a I I remember I ran a um, a charity um, for cleft palate operations for children in Cambodia and I approached all my wealthy friends and these are women who would spend eight, nine hundred pounds on a handbag. Um, and I remember approaching these, these, these friends of mine, I said, would you mind giving me some money towards my fund to go and help these children? And it was 150 pounds to uh, have this corrective surgery done on a child and that would change their life forever. Um, and I had a lot of these uh, wealthy women and and men didn't actually want to, to get involved mm. and it made me see that despite all the money Despite all the the wealth and on the entrepreneurial spirit. I think it's innate if you if you are The, the, the giving sort if you've got a large generous heart uh, You have that before you become an entrepreneur, you know you it just you know in my in my in my case It's just enabled me now to do more than I did before but even as a, as a teenager, I would work in orphanages, you know, that was just, just my, my heart, you know, I, d- I don't think that's anything to do with being an entrepreneur.
0: No, I, I, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I mean, I think, um, uh, myself, I think, uh, pe- people like you and I, uh, I'd use the word responsibility. We have a responsibility in life, yes. um, and I, you know, I, I, I think you agree with this, you know, I'm a great believer in the flow of energy and what goes around comes around. And, you know, I could, I could give you so many examples of situations where I've been, by most, most people's standards, uh, incredibly generous, shall we say, you know, to the point almost of why did you do that? Yes. Um, and in almost every case, um, I've been repaid for that, by, you know, for that very, very quickly. And I feel very strongly at the moment in uh post in the sort of post lockdown period that people like you and i it's it's incumbent upon us to more than to even really step up to the plate and 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 help uh, those who aren't as fortunate as us um, in terms of um, i think uh in terms of helping other businesses um, uh, extending the sort of role in the community uh, the charitable works all this sort of thing
1: of course yes also to add to that um, you know in my case as you know I created a whole line of PPE products which I don't normally do um, and I didn't price gouge so I priced it as I would price it um, pre lockdown and that was something that a lot of my clients appreciated um, that oh, okay. I didn't, didn't take advantage um, of the situation which has really been wonderful really for us to be able to help in that sense we had people write in, you know your Joe blog sort of writing in thanking us for the products we were making which is
0: wonderful yes yeah, so I think yes yeah, so thank you for that that prompt um, so I think probably To my mind, anyway, and I obviously, I, 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 you know, I haven't been with you every, every day of your life, but uh, the thing that I talk about uh, an awful lot uh, in terms of, you know, where I think you are a massive inspiration is uh, you've obviously got this, uh, this beautifully, let's call it that, beautifully branded business with this fantastic international name. And, you know, I'd have to say, you know, when I think of Mel Curtis, I think about uh, the best in branding, you know, the best in packaging. You, you you make you make you make you make everything look so nice. And I think that's very important. And of course, um, lockdown, we go into lockdown and uh, a very large. Uh, you know probably for confidentiality we should mention their name but uh, an extremely large American conglomerate approaches you and basically says can you get me sanitizers etc so tell me uh, how you reacted to that and why you did what you did
1: uh, I was asked to make hand wash um, antibacterial hand wash I had enough hand washers to supply And we didn't have enough so I started looking to quickly source them out um, of Europe and um, and that ended up in me then getting onto sanitizers um, and it was quite extraordinary so I was able to um, supply um, this 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 uh, you know second largest retail in the world um, product I was the fastest in Europe um, and nobody else could have done it as quick as me, which was extraordinary. <laughs> um, and it was just trying to—I mean—putting together the supply chain as quick as I did. But then you see, this is six, uh, 16 years of training. You know, 16 years of of uh, as you you know making making wrong choices and making doing the wrong things sometimes, and then learning how to do it. And, and as I said to you before, I had I had protocols mapped out. So production protocols are all mapped out. And it was very easy then to replicate it anywhere else in the world. So it didn't matter if I was in China um, or, or wherever, I could quickly um, um, sort of unveil and put put in place these protocols. And this is why I always tell people, don't be people led, be process led. Um, and I would, if you look at my protocols, it, it actually maps out step one, step two, step three, step four and you've got sub-processes underneath each process and it's so detailed. And my job and my team's job would be to make sure those steps were carried through. And when you when you do that, it's like following a recipe. Mm-hmm. If you follow the recipe properly, you end up with something that looks like what it should should look like in, in your cookery book. Um, and that's sort of what I've done. And a lot of companies forget to do that. They get so people oriented in that they hire somebody to do the job and they're so dependent on that person being there to do the job if that person doesn't do the job and the whole bloody thing falls apart there's nobody else that can come in and then offset it and get it going and then that's when you have um almost a cumbersome setup you're not you're not agile enough to move then you're you're very people-reliant and that's something i've never ever been i've Um, I don't have a high staff turnover at all my people stay with me for a very very long time but I am very much a this is process led so we have protocols Um, and if you don't carry out the protocol you're not going to get the end result
0: so it didn't occur to you that you know that that, that your customer potential customer was asking you to supply something you had no knowledge of so why would you do that so the easy thing to do just to be say no wouldn't it Whereas 100. you you did do safest, that,
1: the yeah. safest thing to do is to say no. Um, the easiest thing to do is to say no, and and I had every excuse to say no, um, but but I, I I don't know how to do that.
0: So would you? So one of the things that people say about me is I don't know what no means. Do you think that applies to you?
1: It would have to apply to both of us because <laughs> if we actually adhere to a no we wouldn't be here today so i i totally agree that's music to my soul
0: (laughs) beautiful um so i guess in terms of you know one of the things we try to do is 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 um you know uh, i suppose be educational but also um try to pass on to uh the young entrepreneurs and perhaps people who would like to be entrepreneurs aspiring entrepreneurs some of the tips uh, obviously you're a lot younger than me, but um you 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 you've um, not that much. <laughs> yeah, well I think you are. Uh so if you if you were to think of some of the mistakes that you've made, uh that you were, you know, if you were if you if someone was listening to this and you said, right, these are the three biggest mistakes I've made, don't do those, what would they be? That you could do that?
1: Yes. Um the biggest mistake um would be believing in the traditional sense of what it is to be successful so my father and my mother their their sort of analogy of success was to be in a big office with an enormous table in front of you a boardroom table had lots of staff and and my father would almost judge my my sense of um uh, success by how many staff i had um and and whether I had a reception and whether mm-hmm. it was all just sort of pomp and and parade um and not really the bottom line and when I first started, I remember getting caught up in Having, you know, the grandeur of, you know, when the company was making money and I remember sort of thinking, oh, right, I need big premises and I need to do this. And I ended up, um, you know, taking on an enormous lease before the recession in 2008. Um, I think it was in Cowbridge. Yes, it was. Clandau in Cowbridge. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. And I remember it was something like, you know, just to break even, I'd need 75,000 pounds. It didn't matter. I was making money before the recession. So it was fine. It all added up. Um, I had somebody to answer the phone, somebody to make me cups of tea um, and, and a big workforce. And I would be this... You know, I I mean, I'm not a very tall woman, as you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a small woman. I'm I'm a small made woman. So it was sort of a a sort of power thing. This is me. Look at me. I was conducting this huge operation. Uh, I had 50 retractable workforce and I was in my element. So big mistake. Recession. And the customer who would normally buy £1,000 worth of product now bought £200 worth of product. So my overheads were geared to supplying do you, do you see what I mean? So my overheads, mm. my structure was geared to supplying a customer who wanted £1,000 worth of product. All of a sudden, it's now £200. So so 80% of, 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 of my structure didn't service the requirement, which meant I had to keep paying for that. So that was one mistake I would tell every entrepreneur. Don't get caught up with what the world sees as big.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: don't be the one to drive the red flashy ferrari if you wanted to, if you wanted to you know hire one for the day you want to be <laughs> able to always pack your bags and leave and that's the beauty of my life at the moment i have designed it in a way that i am not dependent on a the business even working being able to make any more money again um simply being in a position where i could just go do you know what i really don't want to do it anymore and having that freedom um, which I couldn't have had all those years ago because I had all of that responsibility, and 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 it was all image. It wasn't even real. Uh, at the end of the day, I didn't even make the kind of money I'm making now. It was all an image because my parents told me that that was what it was to be successful. So in your mind, you know, if you think driving a certain kind, this is another thing new entrepreneurs do. Uh, they make a little bit of money, bang. uh, uh, flash fancy car immediately huge overheads so they get caught up in living the the dream that is an illusion living the dream is being able to be financially to be able to say i don't have any debt i don't have a credit card i don't need to work i mean wow that's freedom nobody owns my ass you know (laughs) i do whatever i want um and and that was a big 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 mistake of becoming that all-encompassing look at me look at me I'm so successful but it was all surface you know I remember the recession just you know gosh I I, I, gosh it came and went and Mm. I survived it Um, I've never been bankrupt I've never defaulted on any of my payments I was great I've met I I wasn't great I was just I was just careful Um, and I managed it I managed to, to, to ride that wave which was so difficult, because at the time in Wales, you were losing sort of 800 businesses a week, I remember, Mm. Um, and I did a very naughty thing, Uh, I don't know if I should say, but I was very careful not to write the head lease in the name of the company, I had several companies, so I used to put the leases in different companies, so well, well, that's another little trick, Mm -hmm. but anyway, um, bottom line I was able to, to To do things Legally and correctly But mm. survive the recession Without Having to default and, and be bankrupt But it was very Very
0: Hard <laughs> so At what point uh, Do you consider To yourself That you were successful When did you actually Look when at yeah?
1: When I didn't Have to sit Behind a wheel Of a car And get to work
0: uh, How long ago was that?
1: Oh and I think 2013-14 I came into my own then I sort of I didn't need to go to work I didn't need to go get in a car turn up at a job
0: <laughs> and how, how important is it to you to have your own self-respect and feel that
1: um, I think it's hugely important um, for me to have my freedom self-respect is always there I've always, you know, even if you're employed, there's self-respect, of course. But that's, that's for me, it was my freedom. I, I owned my time. Um, I was not going to trade my time for money. That was something I wasn't going to do.
0: I think one of the things, uh, I was talking about this yesterday, actually, one of the things that's quite shocked me as I've uh, expanded my horizons and, and talked to more and more people is how awful most business owners are with time management uh you know i've actually sat there and thought i could have a new career in in teaching people and one of the things i like about you is you know i could make a claim for bit saying you know i I could quite legitimately say i'm as busy as any person in the world uh but uh the thing that's true i I find quite interesting i on on my friday show last week one of the guys said to me um it must be awful being you. And I went, "Why?" And he said, "When do you ever switch off?" And I, I just looked at him and I said, "I, I, I just can't uh, begin to understand what that means, you know, uh, because you know." So take take yourself for instance. You know, you've got, um, you know, you 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 are a mother of a very small uh, child, George, um, and and your very loving mother and and, and wife. Uh, but you've got this, this fantastic business, which has sort of defied convention and, uh, and, done, and done this massively brilliant diversification over lockdown. Uh, so what do you think it is about you that allows you to have more time?
1: I think what I do differently is I actually manage my attention span. Right. So I realise that in a day, I can't do certain tasks out of peak hours so I have worked out that I'm most effective to do certain t- tasks at certain hours in the day I don't swap so for instance I don't do say if I divide my things to do list I have critical things that need to happen and then nice to do things and the things mm. that whether it happens or not it doesn't matter they're not critical and I've really defined that and then I always make sure I get the critical things done during my most productive hours in a day. Um, and I've worked out what that time slot is, and perhaps we could go into detail at, a, at a, a later time. But but I would work out, and everyone's got their own body clocks, and I'd work out right. I'm most effective at making um, decisions during this time of the day, and that's when I would focus on that. And I'd be very careful not to allow the nice-to-do things to come in. Um, so, for example, if I had to do a bank reconciliation, for instance, I would do that at a peak. Of my peak times I wouldn't order flowers for my mother during peak time I I would do that tired, when my mind is tired so I wouldn't choose peak hours to do non-important tasks and vice versa Uh, and I found it very interesting to manage attention span as opposed to time
0: well uh, I have to say times flown by there Mel Um, I I knew that um, you know this this session would be uh, special, and uh, hopefully, uh, people listening to us um, would have gained a lot from it. And I suppose just to, to other than just to thank you so much for uh, for your um, openness and uh, expert input, what does the future hold for Mel Curtis? What do you think um, is you know what, what's the next great thing, or you know what do you, what do you see happening?
1: Um, I would. I would continue to find ways to be useful to humanity, be it create product or help out um, other businesses. So I'm always very open. I did tell you that I would love to work alongside you, perhaps, in, in coaching and, and getting mm. involved in showing um, new startups, you know, how to, how to do things a little bit better from from the old veterans that have, have been there, done it all in the T-shirt um, and written recessions. So, um, yeah, that's probably what I'd like to do eventually. Um, and, you know, um, uh, I, I'm, into, I'm into always finding the next big buzz. So, for instance, um, I didn't stop at sanitizers. I'm doing other PPE products. Yeah. Uh, I'm always on the lookout. There's never quite a moment when I've stopped.
0: <laughs> so there we are. So uh, that was a, was a really... Um, really quick and informative hour um if anyone watching this program uh, has any questions for either myself or mel uh feel free to e- email me at uh, on paul at aspen weightcouk um and if any of you've got questions for mel then i'll be happy to pass them on to her and and, and obviously uh whether she decides to deal with them or not, you know, being a very busy lady, etc. cetera. But um, uh, I think we're both, you know, we both um, have a strong uh, giving back side to us. So, um, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts you can have is to, is to inspire other people. And hopefully, um, you know, certainly the things I've tried to do in my books is to avoid uh, other people making the mistakes that I made. And I think, you know, if we could, if we could succeed in that, that would be somewhat of a gift, young lady. So thank you so much. I look forward. You never,
1: thank you for having me. Thank I look
0: you. forward so much to seeing uh, how the business continues to evolve um, and the decisions you make. Um, and it's, it's just nice to know uh, a, a person um, that I have tremendous empathy with that thinks a bit like me, which is... Not very good for you, I'm afraid. But uh, anyway. Well,
1: it's lovely. It's lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mel. Okay.
0: Bye.